hello and welcome to another episode of Small Town Hometown Wisdom. Today I have a very special guest with me, and I'll let him introduce himself. I'm Danny Swigert. I grew up in Reinholds. I'm 68 next week, and that's about my background. I got a lot of fanboy history. I know a lot about comic books and novels and pulp fiction and things like that. Oh, yeah. I'd love to get into that. Well, uh, we can move pretty quickly into that. I told but you I'd like to it. share my mother's, one of my mother's earliest memories was Armistice Day, the original Armistice Day, when uh, World War One ended. She was just a child. She would have been like, I don't know the, my history that well, but it's between two and four years old. And she lived either in front of the old, now now vanished uh, feed mill in Reinholds. There was a row of houses there, or she lived in Blainsport, whatever development was there at that time. And she said that all the, all the mothers came out on the porches and were banging on their kettles and stuff because they were so happy that the men were coming home. <clears throat> and that's that was just a little tidbit I had runs around my brain a lot since she's gone. And another one is, this is something my grandmother got. My mother would have been around 10 to 14 years old when she got this. It's about a four or five inch fish made out of leather stitched together. And there's a piece of twine on the end and a mailing thing. It came from Atlantic City to Reinholds. Now Reinholds wasn't on the map until like 1960 or something. And then it was, uh, Kennedy was already gone and they made it to all the maps. So this made it from Atlantic City. The only address is my grandmother's name and Reinholds. And uh, it was 1928 stamped on the post date of the post stamp and it was sent for one penny so that was pretty good yeah uh, well who we go through a lot of a lot more make them a roll today to get letters through and stuff mm -hmm. so that's about most of my history until I came along well, who who sent the fish to her that I don't know. There's no name on it. So this is just a an unknown. Yeah, I just found this uh, after she passed away. I ended up with all her old photographs, and oh, I have a lot of really old photographs, but from the thirties and stuff. Pair of photographs of her. Of uh, of her and of her family and my what would be my great-great-grandmothers and stuff like that. But, uh, we could go through them sometime if you're interested. But yeah, no, I, I don't mean, know if you're interested. No, in I love old, my photographs. I love old photographs. I just think they just tell such a good, such a good story of the past. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think of the person who took them. Because nowadays, we kind of take photographs differently because so many people have an access to a camera in their pockets. Yeah. So they're taking a lot more like liberally. Uh -huh. But back then I know it was kind of a bigger deal. Oh, yeah, it was a real big deal. You had to 
sit still and say cheese and mm-hmm. you know that. <laughs> it, it wasn't the day of the selfie back then. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yeah, excuse me, I hope my voice doesn't go. No, I think it gives character. Uh, <laughs> well, you got a character there. <laughs> now I'm not sure where I'm going. Those two stories are what I came up with. Uh, I grew up in Reinholds. There wasn't uh I grew up at the bottom of uh, Black Horse Hill on the, what would be the north side, I guess. And at that time, there was a big field behind our house and and then a fence. And then beyond that, it was all woods and stuff all the way out to Ridge Road, the one that goes down towards Barnmont. Sure. So that was my playground back there. Okay. And we used to play back there, and uh, all that was on TV was World War Two movies, reruns and stuff. So we played a lot of war, and then we'd have shotgun shells for hand grenades. And <laughs> if all our stuff was broken, we'd use sticks for guns, but we usually had toy guns and stuff. And uh, that was all a big bunch of Right behind the fence there was a, nothing but skunk cabbage. And you get through that and then you get back in the woods and stuff. What's skunk cabbage? Uh, it's a plant. It looks a lot like tobacco, only it's shorter. And it, the leaves droop down, but they're big round leaves about the size of a medicine ball. Okay. Uh, why, is it called, why is it called skunk cabbage? Well, if you walk amongst it, you'd know it. Oh, really? It really reeks, yeah. Oh. Uh, so we used to play back there. and uh, Behind the house, an alley ran, and the alley's still there. It ran from three houses above our place down to the behind the fire hall, which is now a ambulance station there at Reinholds. Okay. And... Uh, the people that lived behind us at, on the other side of the alley were, uh, they had a trailer and a house, and the house was formerly a chicken coop, which was turned into a speakeasy during Prohibition. So they were really nice people, but they, uh, their, their grandfather back there would made his living with uh, dealing in junk and stuff. Scrap paper or anything he could get, going to sales and being the nickel man and stuff. And uh, oh, there was I loved playing back there. We, and we had a Ron Derby troll and listened to uh, old 78 records. Um, my grandmother, the one that received the fish here, uh, she had a big troller too, but. She, I only had one favorite record out of hers because hers were all Foxtrot instrumentals. Uh, stuff like that. Well, I don't want to get subjective. Uh, no, I mean, you can... But my favorite was uh, that uh, she had a copy of uh, Barney Google with the goo 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 in the eyes by Billy Murray. I, have it, I still have it on my favorites on my tablet. So, uh, I, I always 
figured I didn't care much for music when I was a kid, but actually I really did. I was listening to it a lot. And then back at my neighbors that I was talking about, on their patrol, they had a lot of old 78s, Hank Williams and I forget who, I forget who did that one song. Uh, all the guys from the, the Hank Williams era. Yeah. And they, it was always fun to go back there. They had an old, uh, in the winter time, they had a coal oil stove and you'd always, it would always be super warm in there and we'd be sitting in there and smelling the kerosene and listening to music. <laughs> so. Does the, does the smell of kerosene kind of, Kind of bring back those. Oh, I always think of that place when I smell really? it. Yeah. Was there anything besides music that you guys bonded over? Well, yeah. Whatever was uh, cowboys, and we'd play cowboys, and and uh, then we were getting when we were getting close to our teenage years, the man from Uncle came out, and so we were playing that all the time. The, the one with the, the last one to get a haircut was Elio Kuryakin. Uh, you probably don't know these characters. I'm talking crazy. No, I mean I know the uh, I know the man from Uncle. I don't. I'm not familiar with the with names the of the characters. Yeah, they had a long-haired one and they had one with slick back hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, whoever didn't have a haircut played the guy with the long hair. <laughs> All right, there was a guy that lived above us going up the Flight Horse Hill on the same side of the road. And uh, just about the time we were, he, they had the first color TV, so we, I used to go up there on a Saturday night and watch Bonanza in color. And uh, then eventually they moved out to what used to be called Ducktown. Uh, if you go, if you come down Black Horse Hill, and you turn right where the ambulance station is now. You'd go down a little hill and you go over a bridge, and then there'd be one way would go to the swamp churches, and the other way would go into what was called Ducktown, okay. and that would go out to where there was a broken down mill, and it would take you out to Ridge Road, uh, just about in Blindmont. And they moved out there. And to illustrate how quiet it was back then, we used to get up in the summertime. We'd get up in, uh, about 5 o'clock in the morning and try to get ready by 6 o'clock and go visit relatives out in Indiana. It used to take about 11 hours to drive out there. Jeez. They'd live on a farm, and there was a lot of relatives out there on my mother's side. And... At five o'clock, at six o'clock in the morning, we were out in the driveway one summer morning, and uh, my friend had a a black minor bird. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They look like crows or ravens. Okay. And they're big talkers. That one used to, uh, when the they had also had poodles, and then whenever the poodles walked under his cage, he'd bark and scare the hang out of the dogs. <laughs> Well, and sometimes he'd scream, sort of like how Petey's doing now, uh -huh. and he'd scream loud. And in the summertime, everybody had their windows open, 
And that one morning, I could hear that bird screaming. That was about two, two and a half miles out there. And I could hear that bird screaming that whole way. So that's how quiet it was. And it, it was really, oh, any house that you could see, well, practically with siding, because back then everything was either wood slats or uh, you know, wood frame or brick houses. So any house with vinyl siding on it wasn't there back then. And probably a lot more than that. It was the land was pretty empty. It was it was a nice lit place to grow up. And uh, you know, jumping ahead again. Well, at that time my music fandom was rather limited because I was getting limited access to Victrolas and seventy eights. And the only music I really listened to were the theme songs for detective shows. I didn't really care about the shows, but I'd tune in just to hear the songs, like right. the theme from Peter Gunn and, uh, well, the man from Uncle. Mm -hmm. they, they had, like, uh, action, yeah. action music. What about, so, huh? was, um, was Secret Agent Man, was that a theme that song? That came out just, uh, a that came out probably a, a year or so after the Man from Uncle debuted. Cause I I always liked that song a lot. Secret Agent oh, Man, yeah, Secret Agent Man. There you go. I've I, I actually you're I have, in the wrong business. You need to you need to be on this side of the mic. <laughs> uh, What's your uh, you think you think I can make a living doing covers of old uh, spy shows from the. From days gone by. I, that's a good idea, though. <laughs> I always like that music. Yeah. And the ideas are flowing through my head out here. I'm, I'm losing my track. You're uh, talking about, well, we can go back to music. I don't want to skip, I definitely don't want to skip over that. Oh, okay. You're talking about, um, so we can talk, let's talk about the, uh, your taste and music progressing. So it started out with, you know, when you're young and your friend, it's Andy Williams. So would you say, would you say that you were a... No, Hank Williams. Or, sorry, yeah, Hank yeah. Williams. What Andy. did I say? Andy. Andy Williams. No, there wasn't Andy. And he, he yeah, Andy Williams, but he was the... Uh, he was a crew. Moon uh, River. Yeah, he was a well, lounge crew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and now I'm really into that stuff. Yeah. But back then I wasn't too much. So Although, you started out as a country fan. Uh, actually, with my grandmother, I guess I was a, a old jazz man. Jazz. And uh, but I, not like today. I didn't know anybody's name, and plus the jazz that was going on at the time I was growing up was uh, had already cooled off considerably. You know, like uh, the even the swing era was on its way out. To put myself in, in, the, in the time frame, uh, the day I was born, I mean, six days after I was born is when I Love Lucy first debuted. Uh, and that's been on forever and it never <laughs> never went away and I, I never really cared for it, but that's what was on. Uh, we had three channels and that was it. 
I knew how to swing the antenna to get them. So, uh, and then uh, like eight days after I was born is when CBS came out with that eye logo. You know, that circle with an eye in it? Yeah, yeah. Going yeah. inside. Mm -hmm. That's when that debuted. So, there's a comic book site that has that has a newsstand feature on it. And you can uh, pick any date from back in 1939 all the way to the end of the 50s, late 50s or so. And you can it goes by the year and the month. And then they have uh, a lot of history of uh, events listed. And then they show the, the comic books and magazines that were Available at the time? Yeah. Okay. That, uh, during that month. Or that were listed for that month because in actuality, magazines always came out like three months before their cover date. Uh, you'd get a, like, uh, the October issues. would come out like in August or the end of July or something. Okay. I don't know why that was. It was explained to me one time, but I don't remember. But anyway, there. Now, growing up there, uh, I don't know how people got collections of comics. Now, probably in the cities, uh, the newsstands would get their... There was no segue here. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're in the comic books now. Okay, let's go. Uh, in the cities, there was newsstands where you could rely on an issue coming out every month, mm -hmm. being there. But back in my day, uh, it was only about three, four places where you could get comics outside of the city. One was uh, White and Sons in Ephra on Main Street. I forget what's in there now. It's next to that, uh, what used to uh, be Sprecher's Hardware Store. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that was one person that carried them. And there was another one. But the one that stands out in my mind the most is uh, Wally Epting's Grocery Store. Now, uh, you know where Kaima Seafood Mm -hmm. Well, across the street from that is a building where Beth Good used to have her her t-shirt place and uh, uh, trophy place. Do you remember that? I can't say I do. Uh, it's at the light at Kaima's there. Okay. And then on the same side of the 272, right across the street is a nice tan brick building mm -hmm. and a house and a parking lot and a house next to it mm -hmm. well that used to be back during the that started during the war it was just a service station at that time uh, old Wally Epting was something of a bootlegger <laughs> he'd sell bootleg uh, tires and stuff and you know some of the patriotic flag waivers were against him, but people that depended on on transportation were glad for him, you know. So then, after the war, and that, uh, 
he, he started a little grocery store next to that. He filled on to it. And then eventually, I, I can't remember what the building looks like before they put that brick facade on it. But then they put the brick facade on it. But all that time, he was had a, a big rack inside full of conic books. And then by the time I got, uh, well, I would have been maybe between 12 and 16, I would finally, I'd go along when they, somebody would go there. And I'd get a lot of comic books. And uh, uh, my parents, I'm jumping around terribly. But I first got a, acquainted with comic books going to the store with my mother and that. Okay. And then, uh, you know, you didn't beg for more than 10 or 20 cents or tw or maybe a quarter or something. And then when you go someplace, I'd get a comic book and uh, instead of a toy or something. Because the toys didn't last long and the, the comics were laying around. So I got a comic book and back then it was uh, funny animal books of Walt Disney and Tom and Jerry and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I had a pretty big, big stack of them, maybe a foot or two foot. And my sister was a real clean freak. And one day they all went out to, out to the trash. And now I'm mourning I'm so bad. Well, and my sister, because she's gone too, but, uh, I mean, I got over it. I never hated her for it or nothing like that. There was a lot of money out there in the, because those things are really worth some bucks to me. But, uh, after that, I had a taste for it. And that's what my mother says got me to start reading, because I was a, a slow learner, but mostly because of my eyes. I was nearsighted from a kid, and uh, I couldn't see the teacher. And back then, you didn't get a vision test until like first or second grade. So I couldn't see the teacher, and I didn't know what was going on. But uh, my third grade teacher, my mother told her that I had comic books, and then she said, good, good, we'll get him to read it. And that's how they got me into it. Uh, it's Now it's hard to get. I just got to have something in front of my eyes all the time that I got to read. I love it. Yeah. And, but, uh, so when all them books went out and I was growing and I went through whatever kids go through, uh, then I started picking up the Supermans and stuff like that. And it was never really what I wanted, but my imagination would right beyond and I wasn't the only one doing that because uh, all the things all of us wished for as kids is coming out now you know it's like uh, they were always getting closer it was never never as good as our imaginations but they were getting better you know mm -hmm. it was like the, the Batman movies when they finally came out with these Batman movies Oh, this is great! Until he shoots a, a rope out of the side of his car and and wraps around a, a light pole to make a bat turn. Well, he cut everybody's legs off. You know, it just it always jumped the sharks. I don't know. 
who wrote, writes this stuff, but they always jump the shark somewhere in the movie. So here we are today, and now we got, uh, you know, you can almost imagine it. But uh, so I do, and then I find out after I got a license and stuff, and I still sort of clung to that stuff because I it weren't that. Uh, because of my vision, I, I was like a social misfit. Other kids were growing up and they were learning who their parents' friends were and who was who and, and what was what. But I'd be introduced to somebody, you know, an older person in the, in the church in the town. And then there would always be a couple people that looked sort of alike. And then I'd never know who was who. So I just sort of, you know, wandered around on my own. And uh, so when I was 16, I was still uh, into the comics. And then I discovered how much stock that old man Epting really had over there. I mean, you could get the entire uh, run of everything that was published over there at that store. Uh, westerns, war comics, and the superheroes, and the romance, anything that you wanted to follow, you could follow and get it every month. So I had started collecting, and I'd start a newsstand in my old age and stuff. Well, that didn't pan out either, because working can take it. If anybody that says working won't kill you, isn't doing much of it. <laughs> so. Anyhow, it was a good life. I, I really enjoyed myself. And if you want to go back to music, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Uh, like you said, uh, country is probably my first love after jazz because uh, country was all around. Every, every town had a carnival, and that was all hillbilly music. Uh, most. So that's more like, because um, I mean, nowadays country's, country music doesn't sound anything like country music when we're talking about Hank Williams. Because oh, I think yeah. there's, a, there's a lot more influences from like folk and jazz. I mean, jazz and early country are yeah, so close and to rock. And rock. Oh my gosh, yeah. And rock so and many. No, rock and roll. Uh, well, rockabilly is where rock and roll is sort of. One of the influences for rock and roll, and uh, and then there was the other side was the rhythm and blues and the, and the jazz section, like you said. But uh, no, the the country music back then was awesome. I mean, it was so hypnotic. And today, I'm afraid so much of that is being used. What little bit of that is left in the country music is being used to promote uh, negative aspects of the human psyche. Back then it was all about love and uh, there was patriotism and stuff, but not the kind of things like we have today. Uh, about the time I jumped off the country bandwagon is when Donna Fargo came along and some of them others. It wasn't really the rocky uh, country of the day, but it was starting to go 
And then uh, I probably got my first 33 and a third album up there in Brian Wolf's Carnival. I think I still have it. It was a uh, P.V. King and uh, who was his buddy? Red Stewart. Red's buddy. And it's signed and everything. Porter Wagoner was up there. Oh, they had some great names up there. Uh, you know, and I'm not sure where I'm going. Uh, so then at the end of the high school, uh, maybe the Probably my graduation year is when we got a hold of uh, Led Zeppelin and that. But mm -hmm. well, I oh, was nice. talking my language because yeah. this is back into the action music stuff. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. And I got to see uh, a lot of bands. I, I saw Pink Floyd and the, elect the original Electric Factory. It was just like a... Uh, big cement, not a basement, but a big cement slab with a building around it about the size of from here to that end of the house. A big cement slab, and then they had wooden benches in a semicircle around a stage, and that's where Pink Floyd played. And it was wicked, it was really wicked. The only light show they had was a Mirror ball or distant ball, or whatever you call it. And I pretty much just had my eyes closed for the whole concert. And then when they did, be, did you ever hear it? Be careful with that accent, Jimmy. Uh, no, I don't think I have. Uh, it's a real plodding, uh, dearth like, uh, morbid tune. And then in the middle, it did, uh, Roger Waters would just whisper, be careful with that accent, Gene. And then you'd hear this screaming and screaming. And I always imagined whoever was doing it was sweating bullets, you know, and, and all that. And Roger Waters was just as calm as day, just letting his mouth hang open and his blood-curling scream was coming out all over the place. It was awesome. He was great. I can check that out. And then I, uh, it's on the, an album called Umaguma. Okay. And uh, it, and then I seen Led Zeppelin a couple of times. The last time I seen him was when the third album came out, the one immigrant song. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, it was before that, but they were playing songs off that album, and then they played that stuff. That was in the spectrum. I was in an arena. I'm telling old rock stories. I don't know what. Where do you. Do you have any interest in what I was saying so far? Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, if you have questions, we can maybe expand on one of them time frames or all of them. I don't care. Yeah. Well, I was actually kind of curious um, about the story about how you and Billy met. If that's all right. Am I allowed to ask? Am I allowed to ask You're that? You're allowed to ask, yeah. <laughs> well, we met on a CB radio. A you know, C? Like a trucker know, radio? Yeah. Yeah. You know, no kidding. Yep. Yeah. Oh, my. Uh, 
How did you meet on that? Well, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, can I tell him your handle? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what was my what was my original handle? Oh, Molly. Just Ruby. I know they. It eventually just became Ruba. Ruba. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what yours was. Uh, oh boy, this story is going to go all over. The it place. was a streaker. Midnight Streaker, yeah. that's what it was. Midnight Streaker? That was her handle. Midnight Streaker? Yeah. Oh, I really? I don't know where that came from. Me neither. I'm Some of them that. just blared it out, and that's what they think they used for me, so. <laughs> so what? I can't remember my original. Oh, they called me Ruba before I was on the radio. That's why I got that handle. Root beer. Root beer. Well, now that's a story in itself. But, uh, they use that too for your hands. Yeah. Ruba. Ruba, they called me that because there was a, a family from Reamstown called, the, it was the Grove family, Eugene Grove. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He was a fixture at the Reamstown AA club over there. Yeah. And uh, all the kids in the family had a nickname. So I tried to hang one on, on the second oldest brother who's gone to his reward but I tried to hang a, a handle of rube, or, rube on him now rube was an old corny term if uh, the cops would come around snooping or if somebody was causing trouble at one of the stands they'd holler hey rube and then everybody would come running to fight or do whatever they had to do <laughs> Or to help whoever was there. To help to fight the cops? The cops or whoever was stirring up trouble. Or or so if somebody just needed help, they'd okay. holler that too. If they were sick or something. But uh, I tried to hang that hand on him. And then he hung it on me instead. Well, then that, when I got in the radio, that's what they called me. So how do you use your... Like, is your handle just the name that you say before, like... What does that mean exactly? Uh, well, you'd, uh, if you'd holler breaker, breaker, and holler for somebody, then they'd say, who's there? And then you'd say, you got Ruby here. And then Billy would say, you got Midnight Streaker here? She'd just say Streaker. Or, got streaker. She didn't say it that much. We were, it was a gang, you know. And it was, we were renegades, and all the old timers that had, uh, CB radio sets in their house and in the car. They all had handles, but they also had uh, numbers. They had they had had to have a license when they got their radios. Well, then in the mid seventies on or something like that. I'm not sure of the years, but after that, you didn't have to have a license anymore. You could just operate a radio, <clears throat> unless you had went above a certain wavelength. The old CB sets had 26 channels and then the ones, all the new ones that were coming out then had 40 channels. And then eventually it got to the point where I got myself a Galaxy radio and that went from, that went like 120 channels under that 40 and several hundred above 
and it would even went into where the shortwave band starts. So there you would have needed a license. But that's a long story. But then I ended up getting a handle root beer because uh, there was a crazy guy down in Christian that kept calling up to us. And he wanted us to call WIOV for him to play a certain song for him. And he asked me my handle one night. I said, you got root beer. And he thought I said root beer. So then they were calling me root beer for quite a few years. But all oh, those... Those were really outlaw days. I mean, they... Root beer. Uh, the, the old licensed crowd would... If we were trying to talk, they'd key up their mics to blank, you know, so we couldn't talk and stuff. Even things like that. But, I mean, they never actually got into a fight or nothing like that. But it was, okay. So what about, so Midnight Streaker? Yeah. So how, what was your first, you just, who called, how does that work? <laughs> who called, did you say you got Ruby or did she say you got Streaker? Oh, this is awful. This is awful. I don't know how much of this I would have talked about. What? I, I, well, we were both connected at the time. And. We met, and then uh, my first family was starting to disintegrate from either from uh, not enough attention or too much, and I can't tell you which is which because I was home too much or not paying attention enough. I don't know how else to put it because a poor man is always struggling to keep something on the road, to keep a job nailed down, and to, uh, it's always something to do, you know. So I was there all the time, but I was always having to do something. And, uh, well, it's a long story. But then mine was disintegrating. Uh, she was having problems. So we just happened to collide on the sea. And there's a lot of uh, stuff I want. Yeah. No, I that's I, I understand. Yeah. I tell you, it used to be, a, when I think back, it was so different. I can't imagine how we got along without all this stuff. But <laughs> one time in my early 20s, I was, I was always late. And I had a 57 Pontiac. Sky Chief or Fire Chief, I don't remember which name it was, but I made it from Black Horse Hill in Reinholz out to, out to Effort of Science Press in 11 minutes. Yeah. When I looked it up later, Google Maps told me that that journey is supposed to take around 30 minutes. <laughs> um, and at this point in time, uh, I'm handed a photo of Davey uh, in his younger days, and he basically looks like a extra in Dazed and Confused. Look at that hair. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yep. That's now, funny. I made it for... I miss Woodstock, but I made it to Watkins Glen the next year. And uh, 
When I come home from there, I look so bad. I didn't have any sleep or nothing for it. Was you can't imagine how many people that is, and it would take you forty-five minutes to go from here to the end of the neighbor's house oh. because there was so many people. Yeah. You just literally had a step go under people's apparatuses or some would have blankets on sticks or little tents or whatever. You just had to keep maneuvering yourself over all these bodies. Well, when I got home on Sunday, my my father threw me up against the garage door and took a picture of me. Not that one. I looked a lot worse than that. But yeah, that's, that's the old days. So he just wanted it. He's like, I'm... You're gonna remember this. Yeah, I'm gonna th- I'm gonna rub this under your nose. So uh, oh, that's funny. He had. Did I ever finish my story about the? Yeah, I made it from Rhinos to Effort in eleven minutes. You can't you can't make it to Denver in eleven minutes anymore. There's so many traffic lights and stuff. And another thing we didn't have back then was cards. No, hardly anybody had a card. There, there was a diner's club was the first card that came out. But we didn't have any. If you didn't get to the bank on a Friday evening and get some money out, you didn't have anything until Monday when the banks opened again. You couldn't get no money. I mean, if somebody knew you, they could cash a check, but that was the only thing. So I don't know. And phew, Oh my gosh, I, now you got a phone with you. You sit down to eat at a Burger King or something, you can you have internet yeah. contact. It's amazing. But things were going south already with the CB, CB radio. Because that, there was always somebody, we had about 25 people or so in a little, you know, a little, we had a, our channel, you know, and there was always somebody hollering for you. And you couldn't go to the bathroom because somebody would holler and one of the family would pick up the mic. He's in the bathroom. Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, there was no privacy. <laughs> so that's pretty much how people complain about that now they said they can't they can't get away from Yeah, you know. because now it's on your phone. You can carry it into the bathroom. It is bad enough when you're on the on the computer, or, you know, tied to a desk or something. But now it just goes with you everywhere you go. Right. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Because now I don't have to go over and dig through a hundred or two hundred records and find the song. Mm-hmm. It's right there, and then scratch the record because you're always looking for that one song. What were some of the most uh, influential albums or artists that that you, uh, in your opinion? Well, without it, the Beatles. I, love, I still love the Beatles mm-hmm. and the Rolling Stones and the, and Led Zeppelin and Jethro Tull. Jethro Tull, yeah. My, my Jethro Tull. My my idea of Jethro Tull and yours probably differs a lot. Yours probably goes to Aqualung instantly, right? What's that? Your your 
your knowledge of Jethro Tull would probably include Aqualong. Yeah. Yeah, well, they started long before that. Well, not long before, but they were another band, and then they turned into... They were first called Bloodwind Pig. Blood Wind Pig? Yeah. Oh. Can I get up and go get it? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can of pause you it? Can. Or? Yeah, I can pause it. And here we pause for a moment to go through Davy's album collection. This is a hang of a jump because we were just talking about rock music. But this is the original Born in Google song that we were talking about earlier. And it's bringing me memories back of my grandmother again on my mother's side. Uh, she was uh, she lived on, is it Washington Street? Back there where uh, Quinlan's Pretzels used to be. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Uh, well, <laughs> hey, you're from Denver. Yeah, I thought you would know that. Ooh. But anyhow, it's... I can't, I can't go on out. Fourth, on South 4th Street, uh, if you take the first left, it would go out to where Quinlan Pretzels and the Hosiery Mill used to be. And she lived in the little old bungalow, the last one on the left-hand side going back there. And uh, I have it back there. It was where the old ice house used to be. And if you were making ice cream or anything, that's where you'd go for ice. And then you had to chip it off a huge block. Yourself? Yeah. Do, would they give you, like, any tools? No, I mean, they. you put in a... I don't know, a quarter or half a dollar or whatever, and then this huge block of ice would come sliding out of the building. There was nobody in there. It was automated, I guess. They, so you, how, like, dimension of this ice, how big is this ice block? Uh, a two to three foot square cube. How are people, and people well, just picked it up and took it home and... <laughs> Beat it with an ice pick until it was in the small enough pieces to get into your ice cream maker. Anyhow, what I started out to say about my grandmother was I used to think she didn't care that much for me because we didn't have a whole lot in, uh, in common except I loved her food. And uh, she'd get a little upset when I'd go after her Victrola to play that song, but I never realized, not a day, if some kid would start throwing my records around, I'd be like, you know, pulling my hair out, well, if I could grow it back out again, I'd be pulling my hair out, you know, being upset, and she was actually, you know, really calm about things, she didn't ever smack me or nothing, but she scold me, uh, or if I had changed the needle too often, because sometimes you had to change the needles on them things pretty often because they wear down. And those, those records were actually pretty hard. It's better, you can find more 78s in decent playable shape than you can old rock albums because the, the vinyl used to degrade and stuff. But those old uh, 78s had shellac all over them. They got hard as the dickens. I mean, that's, it's like 
you know those amber flies in amber mm -hmm. well that's pretty much what shellac turns into when it's on a on a disc or on a table or whatever okay. it's that hard so she was rather calm because by that time she sure couldn't replace those records they were old collector's items I mean nobody's interested in them but you know they were passe and irreplaceable so I, I, well, I miss them it's not till I was a grandparent that I started missing them so bad you know it's like, we had a lot of good times it's good going fishing with her and you fished with her grandma oh yeah she was she was always hobbling along on the banks of the creeks around here and you could catch something in just about any creek now, nowadays I'm sure a lot of them are dried up that bad that there's nothing living in them but back then there was still fish all over like under the bridge here on 4th Street the new one yeah she used to fish under there I don't know if there's still anything in there or not I don't I haven't been down there enough to take notice if somebody's down there in the summertime. That's about what I have for tonight. I don't know. This has been another episode of Small Town Hometown Wisdom. A huge thank you to Davey for coming on the show and sharing all of his stories. It's a really good time talking to you. I'm really glad I got to do it. Thank you for listening.